Amen. Jesus is that mighty king. And all the nations are his inheritance. And that is the Christ that we speak of, the Christ who is preached of. And we thank the Lord for Christ and his birth, his being born. And he is the mighty king. He is the God king. He is the ultimate king. He is the king greater than David. And he sits on the throne of David. And that is what these uh, psalms uh, point to that we just read. And let us go before the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention to uh, the Lord. And one of my emphasis of prayer will be um, the victims of the uh, tornado outbreak yesterday uh, through Kentucky and through uh, Illinois. And um, Kentucky, I think it's up to 70 dead right now and uh, lots missing that they're still searching for. We have some church friends who... Um, have a church up in that uh, area and uh, you know serving people who um, you know try to help recover and so we want to keep them in in, in prayer uh, Governor Bashir and all the first responders up there and all, all the churches and the, the city that was hit the hardest three churches downtown were totally just uh, demolished like nothing left of them at all so we want to be you know, so we want to be praying for for them and for the uh, recovery and, and for the families and for the church churches up there uh, to be able to love and serve uh, those people. So that's going to be one of our uh, points of prayer this morning. So let us go before the Lord. Father, we come to you right now this morning. Um, first of all, uh, reaching to you as the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our distresses, Lord. And we ask you right now, Lord, to comfort uh, the families of those up in Kentucky uh, who lost their lives. Um, dozens were lost in a um, candle factory. And six lives were lost in the Amazon facility in southern Illinois. Where there are scores of people uh, dead and scores missing as they uh, do search and rescue and also recovery of bodies. Lord, is utter devastation up there. And, and Lord, we pray that you bless the churches up there to be able to love and serve their neighbors, love and serve their uh, communities as they help in the recovery efforts and help uh, families as best they can. Lord, at, at points like this, as I heard one pastor say, you literally do not know what to do or where to start because it's, the devastation is just... It's so massive and so complete. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you be with the church up there in those, in those states that are affected by the tornado outbreak of yesterday. And, Lord, we also pray for the families of those who lost loved ones, families of those who, who lost their lives, uh, that you be with them, that you comfort them, that, that, gospel, uh, is, that the gospel, rather, is proclaimed uh, to those families. And, Lord, that they see um, that this is nothing that uh, they could do about it, but, Lord, that they're not hopeless and that they're not helpless. But, Lord, there is hope in you. There's hope in your goodness and your character and your nature. And, Lord, we pray that um, a clear gospel message is proclaimed because we know that some people may have questions as to how could God allow something like this to happen. That's what people often ask in times of tragedy. Below, we know that these types of, types of things happen because of the effects of, of, of sin, the effects of the fall, um, which corrupted creation also. Uh, but Lord, also that you still save, that you are still glorified even in tragedy, that Lord, you're still worthy of praise even in the midst of tragedy. We may... See, that is upside down, Lord. It is actually right side up. As uh, Job told us, um, though you slay us, yet will we trust you. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, Lord, we pray that your name is magnified and glorified in those areas as they uh, recover from um, this tornado outbreak. And, Lord, we also pray for our um, nation, for our leaders, 
Lord, that you may be their guide, that they look to you and not to man and not to their own wisdom, but they look to the wisdom that comes from uh, your word, wisdom that comes from uh, godly counsel, that they don't look to their own devices, Lord, but that they look to you instead to lead our nation, to legislate in a way that uh, glorifies you and does not go against uh, your words and your commands. We pray, Lord, for our local leaders, our, our Governor Kay Ivey, her cabinet, our um, local leaders, our mayors and county commissioners, Lord, that you bless their leadership also. We pray, Lord, for our, our first responders. We pray for our law enforcement uh, in the county and cities, police departments, our firefighters uh, who are working um, throughout the night, um, those who are EMTs responding to uh, home emergencies or accidents or whatever the case may be. Lord, we thank you for their service. Many times when we're at home sleeping and resting in the comfort of our homes, they're out doing their jobs. So, Lord, we pray that you be with them. Lord, we also pray for the uh, Paris home, which is now, um, you know, closed, as I found out yesterday from Mr. Glover, but that you be with those young men who were in those homes, that they find good and loving homes, homes that will love them and support them, homes that will disciple them in the ways of Christ, minister to their souls, their spiritual needs, and Lord, we pray that Mr. Glover is able to successfully adopt one of the young men and that he is trying uh, to get. He is a good, strong man of God. And Lord, we pray that your grace be with him as he uh, goes through that process of adoption. And Lord, we uh, pray continually for our sister churches, Anson Bible, Grace Fellowship, Redeemer, Christian Fellowship, and also Iron City and, and Mountain View and First Baptist, Lionville. Uh, and Westside Baptist in Jacksonville, Lord, we pray for all the brethren leading those churches. That your spirit may be with us as we lead, as we shepherd the flock of God. That you be with all of our elders as we help to lead our congregations also. And that you bless our members, Lord, that uh, we, our members may bear fruit from the ministry of the elders leading those churches, including this one. Father, just thank you for your grace. Thank you for these, these men that you have put together. May we continue to love, honor, and serve the flock of God. And Lord, now as the word of God is preached, as we look at the Redeemer, Christ, coming under uh, the auspices of Caesar Augustus being the ruler over Rome at the time. Father, may we see that you came, that Jesus came as the God-man at the appointed time, in the appointed place for your appointed purpose. And that you illuminate these truths to us that we may hear this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. May let us turn to Luke, the second chapter. This is our second series in our sermon series on the advent of Christ. This is one of the more popular passages concerning Christ's birth. And our message this morning, our title is, uh, The Redeemer Has Come. Now Luke's version uh, is a little more extensive than uh, versions in the other Gospels. Because Luke covers also um, who this took place under. It also covers the circumcision and Simeon's prophecy that we're going to look at um, next week. But we're going to read here uh, the first 21st, 21 verses of this passage. And it begins with the uh, decree of Caesar Augustus. We're going to talk about him a little bit and put everything into uh, context. So it reads, begin at verse 1 of Luke 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census 
first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And the manger is a feeding trough. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord had shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you, or to you rather. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told by the shepherds, told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the wound. So just to give a context of where we are in time, uh, Luke lets us know that there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, who was Caesar Augustus? Uh, Caesar Augustus was born Octavian. That was his name, and that was the name he was named after his, his father. And his grandmother was the sister of Julius Caesar. Those of you all who have a, uh, especially if you're, you're younger like me, and you took high school English, you may have done the play Julius Caesar in the 10th grade, if you can remember, uh, or maybe not. But if you was in my English class, you, 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 uh, we did Julius Caesar in the 10th grade, one of William Shakespeare's greatest plays. And, uh, you know, Julius Caesar was an actual historical uh, figure. So his grandmother was the sister of Julius Caesar. And so Octavian came to the attention of his uncle. And so what Julius Caesar did was he adopted Octavian uh, as his son. And he was made his official heir in 45 uh, B.C. And then after Caesar was murdered, um, Octavian had joined the two other friends of Julius Caesar, who was Mark Anthony and Lepidus. And so they split the domination of Rome three different ways. And so there was a lot of war going on, and that took place. And then after a while, uh, Octavian and Anthony had existed together as rivals until 31 B.C. And then shortly after that, Augustus, Octavian had changed his name to Augustus and he had won a war and he combined uh, all of Rome under his rule. And he took on the name Caesar. Now, Caesar was the 
name of the it was the title of the emperors uh, in Rome, uh, like we call our ruler, uh, not ruler necessarily, but we call our leader the president. And so Caesar was the title given to their leader. So his name was Augustus. So it was called Caesar Augustus. And during this time, the Romans had participated in what we call uh, emperor worship. In Rome, Caesar was Lord. Caesar was God. And the saying was, Caesar is Lord. And so at this time, those who worshiped someone other than Caesar were called pagans. And all the way throughout the first and second century of history in this part of the world, Christians were looked at as atheists because they did not worship Caesar as Lord. So we have here uh, Caesar Augustus who issued a decree. And remember with kings and decrees that they made that they were basically edicts that were put forth that people had to obey. And there was a census that was taken. And this census took place every 14 years. So this happened to be the 14th year, another 14 year passing. And they took the census in order to be registered so that they could be taxed. That's why census, uh, censuses take place. And that's why we have a census also. Our census happens every uh, 10 years. We just had the census of 2020, I think. And that census is used to see population trends and, and to do redistricting lines within states and everything for uh, legislative representation. So this census took place while Quirinius was governing in Syria. So Quirinius was like a uh, state governor, so to speak. He had his own little territory that he uh, was over. And so it says Joseph, because when people had the census, they had to go to wherever they were from, as it says here in the passage. So Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So he went to where he was from. He went to be registered with Mary, who was at this time pregnant. So all this was taking place under Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar um, was a great man, but he was only a man. He was a mere man. Although they looked to him as God, he was only a man. Okay? We look at people who are uh, rulers over us sometimes, and we, we give a high estimation of them than we ought to. But Caesar could not control the events that were about to take place. Although he issued a decree for the census to take place, he had no control over the birth of Christ. He had no control of when it was going to happen, where it was going to happen, or under the circumstances that it was going to happen. He had no idea that the Redeemer of the world was about to be born. Why? Because he was king, because he was the God. He was the ruler. But he is going to find out that he is not the only ruler. That there is someone who rules who is greater than him that is about to be born. Amen. And that's what we're about to see. So Joseph went with Mary who was with child. She was pregnant. And the days were completed for her to be delivered. In other words, for her to have her baby to give birth. And she brought forth her firstborn son. Jesus was the oldest. He was the firstborn. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Now this narrative seems very innocuous and innocent and, you know, nothing to it is just a story. But no, it is more than a story. When it says she brought forth, that phrase is filled with, with wonder. And we're not told uh, who assisted Mary in birth because uh, those women did have midwives, as they call them. They did have uh, people to assist them in birth because you have to understand, uh, in the first century, or any time before the last hundred or so years, babies were not born in hospitals, <laughs> okay? She didn't have a bed that she, you know, laid in, and they hooked all the machines up to her and gave her an epidural and, you know, 
told her to push. It didn't happen like that. Uh, they most likely had uh, servants or, or, or midwives who helped the baby uh, to be born. Because now modern age, you know, we, we overlook all these things. We overlook the wonder of this birth. So she was completely separated from all of her family. She didn't have her friends there with her in the room. She didn't have her co-workers coming to her uh, side to be with her in that room. It was just her and it was Joseph and perhaps a midwife. And this is how lowly and humble the circumstances were for Christ's birth. And so Luke narrates this uh, to us. He lets us know that Christ was born and she brought forth her firstborn son. And what did she do as soon as he was born? She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Now these these cloths were basically uh, strips of cloth. And that lets you know how long this tradition is going on has gone on because you know most of you all know who's given birth that the first thing that they do when the baby comes out is does what? Wrap them inside of a a, a blanket or a, a towel looking thing that has the the stripes on. I think all hospitals use the use the same kind, right? Probably so, but the first thing they do is do what? They wrap the baby in a cloth. So that shows you how long this tradition has been going uh, on. And I want to say this also. We don't know when this happened. Uh, Jesus historically uh, was not born on December the 25th. This date was popularized by the church in the 4th century. So think the 500s. Okay, over 1500 years ago the date of december 25th was was popularized by the uh, early uh, church okay uh, justin martyr uh, who was a a christian uh, historian uh, said that it was probably sometime in in the fall and that he was born in a in a cave and that his body was put in a trough after you know he was born and they got him cleaned up so it was possible that he was born in a cave uh, in Bethlehem and then put into a uh, trough. So that's what if you go and do a deep dive into the birth of Christ then you'll see all those historical accounts that are not uh, accounted for here. So he was born placed him in a manger because remember again as we talk about narrative and scripture everything doesn't happen in real time. Okay when like he came out and then she put him into a manger just like that you know what I mean then it didn't happen uh, in that time, quick time period, as it says here in the passage. We always have to remember that when we're reading uh, scripture. So he was born. And then what happens next? Another miracle happens. Angels come. And announce to the shepherds, the shepherds are out doing their thing. And an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord has shone around them. And they were greatly afraid as anyone would be right. I would be afraid. Wouldn't you be afraid if you saw some angels and, and an aura around them? I would be afraid, too. I would think I was dreaming. But what do the angels tell them? Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for who? All people. Don't miss that. This joy of this great birth was to be for all people that means that the birth of Christ was a benefit for all people and we want to see what that means later on in this passage it was for all people everywhere so these men they heard this message he says for there is born to you in the city of David a what a savior a redeemer that's who's born. This is no ordinary birth. This is no ordinary person. No one is worthy of an angelic presentation but Christ. No one is worthy of all of this glory but who? Christ. He is the only one who is worthy of this. Since there's born to you, this day in the city of David, a savior, 
who is Christ. Christ is Messiah, the one sent by God, God's anointed one. That's who's born, the Messiah, the one who was sent by God, the one who was promised by the prophets of old. The one who all the prophets in the Old Testament pointed to. Guess what? He is the one who is born. Before Christ, there was no Savior. Before Christ, there was no Redeemer. Because we found that the law, as Paul said, did not have the power to do that. The law exposed our need for a redeemer the law showed us that none of us can be right in our own eyes the law showed us that we were helpless and hopeless paul spent the whole chapter in romans 7 talking about that he did not know what it meant to covet until he read the commandment you shall not covet so the law could not save. We needed a savior. We needed a redeemer. And you know what the world still needs people? They still need a savior. As we talked about last week. This time of year. We need to let people know. They need a savior. They need a redeemer. And that redeemer was born. That redeemer came into this world and angels proclaimed that a savior who is Christ the Lord he is Lord of all and this will be a sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger that's where they will find them lying in the manger so the angels let them know where to find this Christ. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. And what were these hosts doing? They were praising God. They were glorifying God. They were magnifying God. They were worshiping God. A whole group of angels appeared. And this was a, a, a heavenly host is like a band of soldiers. And they were proclaiming that the world needed peace. They needed peace then and they need it now. What were they saying? Glory to who? God. In the lowest? No. In the highest. Glory to God. In the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Now, about that peace thing, you'll see this time of year, a lot of people using that phrase about peace and goodwill toward all men. This type of peace is not the peace that a lot of people, uh, people use this type of peace in a, in a wrong way. This peace is not just general peace in all the earth. This peace that the angels are speaking of is peace that comes with being justified by grace through faith. It means peace with God. Not the absence of conflict or the absence of war. Okay? That's not the kind of peace that it's talking about. It is talking about the peace that only comes when we are saved and we are at peace with God. That is the kind of peace that came with the birth of Christ. Because before that, man was an enemy of God. And fallen man still is. Unsaved man still is. A person who is unsaved, guess what? They're not at peace with God. You may hear people who are non-Christian say, yeah, I talk with God every day. Y'all probably know people like that. Yeah, I I talk to God every day. I'm sure you do. <laughs> you may talk to him, but you're not talking to him as father. And you being his son, you don't have a 
father-son relationship with someone with whom uh, you're not saved. No, you have an adversarial relationship with God. You are an enemy of God. You are still in your sins. You are still under condemnation. Just as we looked at in the catechism uh, this morning, there, there are two sides to the gospel. There's the gospel of salvation, and then there's the gospel of condemnation if you reject the gospel. So this piece in that context is not for every single person. This is not a universal peace that is being spoken of. This is not a universal goodwill. Now, should we strive for peace? Yes. Should we strive to be good towards everyone? Yes. But those two things, those two strivings, don't bring salvation. The only peace that matters is the peace that comes to God through salvation, or peace rather with God that comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. If you're saved this morning, guess what? You have peace with God. You have goodwill with God. And because you have goodwill with God, you can show it toward man. Now, through common grace, people can be good. Evil people can still be good through common grace. And it is only because of God's common grace, God's general goodness towards fallen man or or towards mankind. You know, people are very uh, giving at this time of the year. People love giving to the poor at this time of year. People uh, love doing tours for tots. This time of year, people love doing Operation Christmas Child and all these other uh, philanthropic efforts, which are good. And we thank God for that. But no matter what type of giving they do. That does not grant them this peace that these angels are talking about. This peace is a salvific peace. It comes uh, as a result of salvation uh, with God. Peace or wholeness or completeness. So the angels proclaim and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And then so when the angels had gone away from them, the shepherds, they looked to one another. Say, okay, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us, so they acknowledge the Lord. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I don't know about you. When I read that passage, as I read it, the more and more, I know where they find them. They didn't have Google Maps. God showed them the way we don't know how far these shepherds were away from where Mary and Joseph were because the scripture doesn't tell us that we don't know how far they had to travel to get to Mary and Joseph but we just know that the angels appeared to them and the angels were of course sent by God to them and the angels visited them and then the next thing you know they found them. I just marvel at that. that. That shows you that God was all part of this. Even under someone named Caesar Augustus, God's plan of redemption was still going forth. No matter what. It says, now they had, uh, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. So they couldn't keep it to themselves. It inspired the shepherds to tell as many as they could what they had heard and experienced. That they had the angelic encounter. And then that they saw the Savior of the world. And all those who heard it, they marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So the, the shepherds' good news amazed all who heard it and they may not have even understood it but they recognized that something significant had happened the theologian uh, Gordon Trapp said this God to show that he had respected 
no persons revealed this grand mystery to the shepherds and the wise men, the one poor, the other rich, the one learned, the other unlearned, the one Jews, the other Gentiles, the one near, the other far off. So God had no respect of persons. In other words, he didn't show favoritism. Shepherds were poor by nature because of the jobs they did. They were, they were lowly. They were humble. But God still revealed his plan, his redeemer, his savior of the world to these lowly men. Just as he did the three wise men. The, the wise men were, were wealthy because they brought uh, expensive gifts. You know, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Those were very expensive gifts that they, that they brought to celebrate Christ's birth. So they were very wealthy men. So, so what does this show us? Our Redeemer. That there's no one who is unworthy of Christ. There's no one. God sent those angels to those shepherds to show that he had no respect of persons. That the poor are just as worthy of hearing the gospel, are just as worthy of redemption as the wealthy. Many times we can scoff at the poor and say, oh, you know, they won't understand. And we look at the rich and say, they don't need God, they got everything. Au contraire, that is not true. Both the poor and the rich need redemption. Both the learned and the unlearned. In other words, the educated and the uneducated. They all need a redeemer. We can't look at people and assume that they don't. No. Guess what? Everyone needs a redeemer. And that is Christ. Because guess what? Everyone's going to have to give an account for their souls before the Lord. All of us are going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's going to be the great leveling of the rich and the poor. The Jew and the non-Jew. All will have to stand before him. Amen. So all of them are in need, are in need of redemption. So they marveled at what the shepherds told them. But what did Mary do? She kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So Mary's reaction was different from the shepherds and those who had heard them. She, she calmly took everything in and meditated in her heart. And, and she was seeking perhaps to understand the, the deeper meaning of what was taking place. Because remember, she was told by an angel she was going to give birth. She was going to be conceived. She was a virgin. So all this is happening. She's a young woman. And this is her firstborn child. And all this is happening around her. The, the, the shepherds coming. They have their story. And they're coming to celebrate this Christ. The, the wise men came. All this is happening around her. So I can see why she just kind of took it in. And pondered in her heart and so what did the shepherds do they proclaimed they glorified rather and praised God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them that is the proper response they had the proper response the shepherds had such happiness and praise to God because the word of God was fulfilled as it was told them. John Calvin said of this. That their zeal in glorifying and praising God. Is an implied uh, reproof. Of our ingratitude. If the cradle of Christ had such an effect upon them. As to make them rise from the stable. And the manger to heaven. How much more powerful ought the death and resurrection of Christ. Be in raising us to God. In other words, Calvin is telling us that just as these shepherds glorified and praised God 
from a manger, how much more should we glorify and praise the God who died for our sins and who rose from the dead? That we have cause to do what? Glorify and to praise God for our Redeemer who redeemed us. Do we really, in this season, ponder what our redemption means? What God did in sending Christ at the appointed time into the world to save us, to redeem us, to purchase us? Do we ponder the miracle of salvation that God takes people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Those of us who are under the wrath of God. And what does God do? He makes us alive. Do we ponder that while the Redeemer came? We know the word redeem means to purchase back or to buy back. Or to cash in, you know, I, I remember, I mean, I'm not old, but I do remember the S&H green stamps, you know, anybody remember those? You know, you go to the grocery store and, you know, you buy stuff and you get, get your green stamps and you put them inside of a, of a book. And then after you get so many, you take them to the redemption center, you know, based on how many, it's almost like when you go to, uh, what, Chuck E. Cheese's or... Uh, what's the other place? Dave and Buster's. You can get all those tokens and stuff. They come out, and then you get so many tokens, you can get one of those cheap prizes they have. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the same thing. You go, you you take those tokens in, and you redeem them for something else. Okay? You you buy something with them. You you go to a redemption center. Back in the S&H Green Stamp days, you went to a redemption center. And you took those books of S&H Green Stamps, and you got something with it, like a toaster or you know, some little appliance or something like that. That's what the, uh, when we think about redemption, we think about that being purchased back, being bought back from. And that's what Christ did for us. He purchased us. He paid the price that was necessary to save us. This is the Redeemer that the angels speak of. This is a Redeemer whom the shepherd, and the shepherds rather, uh, heard of from the angels and who went to visit. This is the Redeemer who was born under the rule of Caesar Augustus. Jesus was the real king, not Caesar. Jesus is the Lord of lords and king of kings, not Caesar. Augustus is a mere man. He's going to die one day. His kingdom is not a kingdom that will last forever or that did last forever. But Christ's kingdom will always last. As God promised David about his seed, he was speaking of Christ. He says, there will never cease to be a man on your throne. And he was speaking of Christ. Christ's kingdom reigns forever. Christ will rule forever. This is the Redeemer that came, that was born into the world. This is the Redeemer who was in swaddling cloths, who was put in a feeding trough. Y'all seen feeding troughs before, right? It's not a place where a baby is supposed to go. But that's where our humble king, that's where the Redeemer of the world was placed, in a feeding trough perhaps in a stable. But he was still what? The redeemer of all mankind. So when we read in this passage, we see everything that points to this redeemer. We see all the proclamation. We see all that God had promised coming true. We see these lowly shepherds who meet their salvation. They visited him. They saw him. 
Mary pondered these things in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. And then it gives here in verse 21. That after eight days according to the law for the circumcision of Christ of the child rather his name was called what Jesus his name was called Jesus Jesus means the Lord saves or God saves Yeshua which is the Hebrew name for Joshua his name is called Jesus, and the name was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And we saw that in Luke 1, I think, verse 31. So she had given him the name that the angel had proclaimed. So this is the Jesus. This is the Redeemer of the world that we see who came. So as we think about this time of year again, we need to think about the fact that Christ's birth is more than just about the manger. It's more than just about Mary, as the Catholics put an overemphasis on uh, the perpetual virginity of Mary, which she was not perpetually because she had other children, but that's what the Catholics focus on. Do you know that in Roman, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, that uh, Mary is a deity, that she is worshipped, that she is called the uh, the redemptrix, this female word for redeem, uh, redeemer. That they, the Catholic Church, uses Mary as a mediator also. That not only Christ is mediator, but Mary is also. That they pray to the Virgin Mary. And you hear Catholics talk, that's what they refer to her as, the Virgin Mary. Because they look at her as a perpetual virgin. So they worship Mary as a mediator. They worship Mary as the co-redemptrix because she gave birth to Christ. So they have a inordinate view or a disordered view of Mary. The birth of Christ is not about Mary. The birth of Christ is about Christ. It is about him as redeemer. It is about him as Lord. It is about him as the savior of the world. And so as Christians, as believers, that should be our focus. And that is where we should point people to our Redeemer, to our Savior. That has to be our emphasis. The presents are fine, the Christmas decorations and all those things are fine. There's nothing inherently sinful about those things. But, we say Jesus is the reason for the season, right? That's a good cliche. Are we making him the reason for the season? Are we putting the emphasis on Christ, the Redeemer, being born? And I'm going to tell you this. Christ was as much Redeemer when he was born as he was when he was on that cross 33 years later. He was no less Savior. He was no less Redeemer when he was born. At the moment of his circumcision, guess what? He was still Redeemer. He was still the God-man. He was still the Savior of the world. When he was one, when he was eight days old being circumcised, all the way up until he was 33 years old being crucified, he was still the Redeemer of the world. We can't look at Christ any less in his birth as sweet little baby Jesus. <laughs> that sweet little baby was what? Redeemer. That sweet little baby was Savior. 
That sweet little baby was the hope of the world. That's who he was. He was God in the flesh. Who John said, uh, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So my prayer this morning as we close this message is to look at the birth of Christ as the sign of our redemption. The coming of man's redemption. The coming of man's salvation. <coughs> Ask people, what is the most important thing to you about Christmas? You would get a thousand different answers if you asked a thousand people. You would. Talk to your family members, your friends. What's the, what, what do you like about Christmas? Some people say the carols, the Christmas music. Uh, the song, what, the most wonderful time of the year, which is not true for everybody. <laughs> they like the, the bells and, you know, they say it's magical. I don't like using that word, but that's what people say. You know, the decorations and everything. The shopping crowds, you know, some people like that. Okay, those things are okay. Nothing inherently sinful about those. But what is the greatest thing about Christmas? That the Savior of the world was what? Born. That redemption came. And his name is Jesus. And he came to save man from his sins and that is what we want to look to as our message amen let us pray father we thank you this morning that as redeemer that as savior that as lord that as christ you were born now, this time of the year, we celebrate your birth. We celebrate you as the God-man, as the King of kings, and the Lord of lords that was born and placed in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths, who was visited by angels and by wise men, and whose angels proclaimed your birth. Father, we thank you this morning that you came as Redeemer, that you came as God. We praise you, Lord, and we worship you this morning. Let us tell our friends, our family members, our loved ones, that the Redeemer has come, and his name is Jesus, and he came to save and to give people peace with God through his blood. Father, thank you for your word this morning. May it bless us and may it encourage us. And may we proclaim this message to those who are without salvation. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen.